Hello, everybody. Welcome to this championship round recap edition of a good football show. I am Patrick Darty, joined by John Daigle and Patrick Crane. We will be breaking down the Chiefs' collapse, the Bengals' stick tooitiveness, the 49ers' quarterback woes, and the Rams' fourth quarter Houdini act. We begin in Kansas City, where the Chiefs were vying for their third straight Super Bowl appearance and appeared well on their way with a 21 3 lead with five minutes left in the second quarter. Instead, they scored three more points the rest of the way and tied for the worst ever championship round collapse, despite getting the ball first in overtime. You know, Joe Burrow was like openly despondent when they got the ball. Josh Allen literally tweeted pain when <laughs> and like I was like, well, game's over. But uh, I, I kept saying during the week that I didn't think there was any one area where the Bengals had a real edge on the Chiefs' daggle. Where was I wrong, and how did this happen? It really all happened in the second half, and that's the confusing part when you look back. Since everyone was kind of having their way in the first half, Mahomes was 18 of 21 for 220 and three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill had 8 for 78 and a touchdown. Uh, And then in the second half in overtime, when the pass rush, that's what seemed to happen. When the pass rush really got onto it, the Chiefs also made a few mistakes here and there, but overall – From that point forward, Mahomes is 8 of 18 for 55 yards and two picks, plus he took four sacks. The Chiefs in the second half, their offense alone mustered only 83 total yards and three points on seven drives. Literally just fell apart entirely. And they did, by the way, play more, not just two deep safety, but the Bengals dropped eight into coverage more than any other team on defense against Mahomes this season. So they didn't figure out another unique way to put more players in the field rather and just attempt to get there with three or four guys as opposed to even getting trying to get cute and sending extra players at Mahomes. And that's what happened. They actually did get to him and cause him under duress. But overall, there were just a few mistakes on the Chiefs' side of the ball as well. Uh, those total marks on offense, it's pretty egregious, honestly, given that they had a number of drives to do better with in the second half. Yeah, Daigle, I saw that eight-man drop stat, and that felt like the stat of the game to me. And it was just apparent how well it was working because there were lots of times where, like, the three- or four-man rush was not getting home. Like, Pat Mahomes would spin out and have all this space, but then no one was open. And, like, that just happened over and over and over again in the second half. And Crane, I mean, I'm just still in disbelief. Uh, we we had a stat from our research department where Patrick Mahomes, when he's leading by 14 or more points in his career, is 39 and two against all quarterbacks who are not Joe Burrow. And now he's 0 and two against the Bengals. And wow. I'll let you jump in with your spiel too. But also, we need to talk about if Zach Taylor actually like might actually be a good coach. I feel like he's had very good playoff game plans. To me, this was a real uh, knock against Zach Taylor. I I've Uh-oh. been kind of. I've been kind of uh, coming around <laughs> to Zach Taylor, but we could talk about that in a bit. But I, I actually have a lot less confidence in him going into the Super Bowl. To me, the story of this game was was Mahomes in the first half looked like he was about to score 50 points on the Bengals. And, to, you know, they don't get any points uh, to close the second half, which obviously one of the big stories. That was the turning uh, point of the entire game. I mean, it, it, And it was disappointing. I, I thought that. You know, they did the right thing in trying to score a touchdown, uh, but Holmes did make a mistake there by going to Tyreek Hill short of the end zone there with no time. Uh, and, and, yeah, they they never really looked the same after that. 
But I, I did think they got a little bit more conservative in the second half. You're seeing a bit more first down runs. Um, and, and they didn't seem like they were challenging deep as much. Now, maybe that had to do with the coverage as well. But it did feel like they were playing as if they had a much bigger lead than they actually had. To the point that when they were down and about to drive down the field for it ended up being the, uh, the game-tying field goal to go to overtime, I commented, it feels like they're still winning this game. Like they're coming out, they kind of look like they're about to drive down and kick the game winning field goal, not the game tying field goal. And even on that drive, I felt like it was very clear that it was top of mind to not leave any time left for Joe Burrow. And it didn't feel like as much of a priority to score the touchdown. And, you know, that after they, they take the clock down to the two minute warning, they run the ball. It, it was, it, <laughs> I mean, I think you have to sort of prioritize the touchdown in that spot. Uh, they did have a couple shots. The the Mahomes took two sacks to close that drive up before they kicked the field goal. So, not I wouldn't put like a ton on the coaching here. I think it's more on Mahomes having a really rough half, but it didn't feel quite as aggressive, and and they didn't feel like they're prioritizing scoring points right at the end there. It wasn't just the sacks either. They were Benny Hill hit the theme and then run around for 15 seconds. <laughs> yeah. sacks. They were rookie uh, year Josh Allen sacks. To to drop the fumble as well. Like it's the one thing you can't do is fumble the ball when you're in that position late in the fourth quarter. And he still fumbled on third down, but at least the center jumped on it and recovered. So uh, no harm, no foul, but also just everything that could have gone wrong essentially did. That, that co- yeah. so. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, what Crane was saying, I, with the not leaving Joe Burrow time, they overinterpreted last week's results, is mm-hmm. what you're saying. And by the, so the Chiefs coaching, so Mahomes, he has to take the blame for that play at the end of the first half. But I mean, I thought it was a disastrously bad play call, too, though. There's five seconds left, and they called a play that took like two or three seconds to develop, you know, before you can even yeah. like make the throw. I was like, what, Andy? I was like, I guess it was like, he was calling his best play, like his two-point conversion play, I guess. Like Andy, like in that situation, man, it can't be one of these like Kyle Shanahan plays that takes a decade to develop. You just got to take a shot in the end zone. And boy, oh boy, was that – that was just ruinous. Just ru- and, uh, so you you go, Pat. Well, the play before that was a little bit long too. I think they, they ran like four or five seconds off the clock on the previous play, Mahomes – Smartly, uh, smartly at that point, um, threw it into the dirt to to preserve to have another play. But they they weren't exactly like you know they didn't optimize the no. the series at the end of the half there to get as many plays in as possible. He's usually so good at situational football too, Patrick. Cur- or let's just say Patrick Corain is just so good at situational. <laughs> I appreciate football. that, <laughs> Pat Mahomes. By the way, can we agree? And not to like bury anyone here. It wasn't only Tony Romo. I saw like a lot of tweets saying, like, the Bengals should let the Chiefs score. And I, I felt like I was, like, losing my mind. I'm like, I'm like, are you actually kidding? Like, you're winning by three. You cannot. And the, how discombobulated the Chiefs' offensive. I really, like, felt like I was taking crazy pills. But to tell me if I, I think Romo wrong. came off that, right? I think he sort of, like, considered it and then was like, no, no, no. You're, you're stopping them 100%. There, like he sort of <laughs> talked himself out of it. He mentioned there is a point in the game. I would say it's, like, around 30 to 40 seconds left where you don't let them score, where you actually stand your ground, because that's that's just not enough time. I understand the Chiefs t- went into overtime with 13 seconds on the clock. They went 44 yards last week against the Bills, but not every team can do that. Uh, it was a once-in-a-lifetime situation. So there is a time where 
you actually stand your ground. Uh, and even with a minute and a half remaining, yeah, I think it was a little hyperbole, Romo, where he starts talking and then forgets he's talking. Well, I'm not trying to throw Romo under the bus either because there was a lot of like smart people on Twitter who I usually agree with who are saying the same thing. But to me, that was like became like a classic situational football thing. I'm like, have you seen this offense in the second half? Like, have you seen what Trey Hendrickson is like single handedly doing yeah. to Patrick Mahomes? Like, you cannot let them score here. And they did not let them score. And then they won the game. And then everyone was very, very, very sad. And uh, but Romo also, by the way, said maybe the Chiefs should go down at the one yard line. I, he was just like in the zone at that moment. I think he backed off that one too. Uh, he, like I said, but, he's he has a tendency to like all, all the broadcasters have uh, have their weaknesses. Um, Romo will just start rambling. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think thinking, he was thinking out loud. He seemed yes, like he was, he was sort of thinking yeah, through yeah. the situation. Yeah, he's clearly a brilliant football mind. But yeah, he was he was thinking out loud, and almost all of his thoughts are good to be thought out loud. I was like, yeah, maybe keep that one. That he he creates conversations brain. that like don't actually need to be had. Uh, like Jim <laughs> is his best friend, referring to him always by Jim, and he ends every <laughs> sentence with Jim as well. He can't help but do that. It's like how Greg Olson. Uh, becomes a narrator for a wildlife documentary when he broadcasts. Uh, like literally his voice gets really quiet. He talks about the cornerback stalking his prey and it gets a little bit louder every time. Uh, every broadcaster has their, their tendencies. Ray Wilson kind of looks like that, by the way. Yeah. Listen, he, listen to him talk. Listen to the way he does play by play and describes plays. Uh, yeah. He's narrating a cheetah stalking its prey. That explains why he wears cargo pants. Yes. He's one of the he's one of the better young announcers we got going. So, you know, devastating loss. I mean, everyone in Kansas City just dazed and confused. Did they miss their window? Kind of I mean, obviously the window is open as long as you have Patrick Mahomes. Did they miss like the easy part of their window now? Cuz you know, Travis Kelsey, the age curve whispers were coming up all season. I mean, he still like had 1100 yards receiving, still had 300 yards receiving during the playoffs. Still like clearly an elite player. But he's, you know, his yards per route run were down by almost an entire yard. I think 0.7 yards this year from 2.5 to 1.8. They still have never found that third weapon behind Kelsey and Tyree Kill. I mean, the league finally found out how to defense Tyree Kill a little better this year. Like the Chiefs are going to be a Super Bowl contender every single year with Patrick Mahomes. But are they entering out? Are they going from this phase now where they're like a prohibitive favorite? To maybe some of those like those Peyton Manning years in Indianapolis where it's like a really flawed roster and it's going to depend on like Patrick Mahomes being the hero it's, if they're going to win Super Bowls. It's a lot like how the Seahawks spoiled Russell Wilson's window, rookie contract window entirely. It's the opposite in that the Chiefs were very successful. And because they have Patrick Mahomes, they'll be here, we assume, every single year. Even in a conference, not a league, a conference with Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, clearly Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. That's why I think it's funny whenever we have – Derek Carr and Baker Mayfield talks like it doesn't matter. Uh, all, you're just making decisions to lose. You don't stand a chance. You have to. You have to go for it. Like you literally have to swing for the fences because you don't stand a chance. Even someone like Aaron Rodgers going to Denver. Like why? You want to go through this murderer's row? That dude's got to stay in the NFC, stay. man. Like yeah, especially with Brady most likely gone now. So we're hearing um, stay. Like you're you're the best in the NFC. Why would you ever come and compete in this murderer's row? But also. To that point, Mahomes' cap hit jumps from $7.4 million this year to $35.7 next season. And that is arguably, since after that, the inflation hits. And he goes right over 40 in 2023, and it doesn't get any lower beyond that. So you could argue that next year will be the last year ever in his entire career he plays for under $40 million in a cap hit since he's going to retire with the Chiefs. And so it only gets more expensive from here on out. And all these little guys that you don't think of, the ancillary players like Jarrett McKinnon, like Daryl Williams, uh, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, like 
their analogies for now, like everyone becomes Demarcus Robinson. So what are you going to do when you still are always going to keep Patrick Holmes, but you're playing with seven Demarcus Robinsons in the field? Like, can you still compete with this window? And that's kind of the question they're asking now. They'll probably have to get veteran talent who simply want to play with Patrick Holmes. Uh, like you're looking for an AJ Green on a 1.2 million. You're going to have to just deal with contracts like that now for the next decade plus, because this was at least not the end of a successful run, but like it was the end of it getting of staying easy. Yeah, I, I think to some extent that's true, and it's certainly winding down. But you do have Tyreek Hill under contract for another season. I think Travis Kelsey, while he's in decline, he's going to still be a lot better than your average tight end. He's yes. going to, I think, decline into you know, like Tony Gonzalez was still quite quite usable at the end of his career, and like even if he declines into kind of late career Greg Olson before he couldn't stay on the field due to injuries. Like that's still like a, you know, a secondary third weapon. That's okay. They also now with Tom Brady's retirement, I think in a weird way, this helps, right? Because it takes away one team where, you know, you're going to chase rings. So if you're going to, if you're the, if you're the ring chaser, if you're on a one year deal, like a, you know, a kind of a prove it one year deal, a rehab, your, your value one year deal, the Chiefs now are, are kind of the obvious spot to go, you know. And I think Juju Smith-Schuster was someone we were thinking. You say they got to take another crack there. at Juju. They got. They, yep. What about Chris Godwin if Brady if Brady is truly retired? You know, I mean, that would be I think an ideal spot to go if you're Chris Godwin. Get get healthy for the playoffs and uh, you know make some noise with the Chiefs. That sounds like a nice way to get a really nice deal in uh, 2023. Chris Godwin just, though, reminds me of um, Allen Robinson contract where the injury doesn't matter. He's still going to get paid accordingly because they know might be right. he's a superstar talent. You actually uh, might I be think right. My, I think Michael Gallup would be the better example there. Oh, okay. Yeah, Gallup's a perfect yeah. example. But I think, you know, those types of guys, the Chiefs should be able to get, you know, one of those. And to me, you know, if you lose Pringle, if you lose Robinson – you know, Hardman, that type of stuff doesn't matter. I mean, I think all no. those guys are, are you're kind of already at replacement level beyond Hill yeah. and Kelsey. So you actually do have a chance, as long as Kelsey doesn't drop off too much because Hill's under contract next year. If you can get one guy in cheaply, that could make a big difference. I also think Jarek McKinnon is an upgrade on CEH. Uh-oh. So, you know, you're you potentially have found someone now if you if you bring him back cheaply, which I imagine they could. So uh I think maybe two years from now, as Daigle's pointing out, it's not going to get any easier with Mahomes' contract. When Tyreek Hill comes up for free agency in 2023, that might be the more difficult offseason for the Chiefs to handle. I just feel like these four years, like four years of truly historic play, like one Super Bowl is a good outcome, like a really good outcome. Because there are lots of people who have like these four or five year stretches where they get zero Super Bowls, like as we're seeing from Aaron Rodgers. So it's still a good outcome, but like, a team that has the potential to be like a truly all-timer, I do feel like it's a poor outcome to come out of these four years without two Super Bowls. Uh, on, on one hand, you didn't fail, not only because you got one, but also because like this is sort of the range, even having to work and maneuver the cap around for the foreseeable future. You still think like this is the Chiefs, the floor of the Chiefs, right? Like uh, you get to this point and it's a coin toss. And I think that's a successful organization. I understand the goal is to win every year, but what if you can just say we make the you know division around the conference championship every year, and from that point it becomes a coin toss? I still think that's fine. Like that's the proper way to build, honestly. Yeah, I think they could be like the Peyton Manning Colts, where where I don't know if you a lot of people listening to the show won't even remember this. You know, like. 2002 to like 2005, the Colts, like every year, like 13 and three, 12 and four, 13 yeah. and three, and could not get over the hump. 
And then finally, like their 2016 was like a bad team by their standards. But like since they had Peyton Manning, you know, they make the Super Bowl every year. They had a bad defense, but then they just got really hot in the playoffs and finally won the Super Bowl. The, like, the Chiefs, that's like the Chiefs floor, I think. The Zoomers also won't remember that uh, Dominic Rhodes should have been named the MVP of that game. He should but have. since his name was Peyton Manning, he of course got the award. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I also think, you know, this was this is a pretty bad outcome. Like this this was not one of the the bad teams of this Chiefs era. I think uh impressive rebuild of the offensive line. Mahomes was playing really well. Well, until the second half, he was playing excellent. They were the biggest favorite of you know, the conference championship. The se- I mean, I thought seven points was too much, but you know, they clearly we all thought they were gonna and you know, going into the going into the half, even after they didn't get, they didn't get any points, you thought oh. they had this game. So if you think about next year, I mean, this is a big if. It's very hard to win a Super Bowl, but if they were to win a Super Bowl in 2022, I think then all of a sudden they've made five straight AFC Championships games. They've won two Super Bowls. They've made three over this five-year period. Right? I mean, it's kind of one of these things where because they just lost and they're not going to the Super Bowl, it's easy to think about the negative, but they are in the midst of what could ultimately be like an incredible historic yeah. run, a dynasty. So. I think with Hill coming back, there's still reason to be optimistic. And it's just so hard to not compare everything to Tom Brady, where it's it's easy to lose sight of the fact that even just one Super Bowl in an era is just a tremendous outcome. Mm-hmm. Ask Drew Brees, ask Aaron Rodgers, et cetera, et cetera. It's just mm-hmm. a tremendous outcome mm-hmm. and a super difficult cap cap and like there's parity because of the salary cap. So even one is amazing. So Crane, you mentioned Jarek McKinnon. He's a free agent, but I think he's 30, going to be 30. Yeah. But what are the odds they give CEH another starter's try? Because he was in, you know, injury was bad this year again. Like, he only played in 10 games. It's basically replacement level as both a runner and a receiver. Like, didn't at all take a step forward as a receiver, which is really bad since it's supposed to be his strength. Like, the fact that he got easily jumped on the depth chart by a, a journeyman in the playoffs, I mean, very poor sign. Even if he's not healthy, he was healthy enough to play and they're playing a literal journeyman over him. Like, is there any way they go in? I mean, I guess there's plenty of ways they go into 2022 with CH is like by the letter of the law, the number one. But is there any way that they're going into 2022 where like CH is like the guy mentality, basically? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I suppose if they don't bring back Jarek McKinnon, but, you know, <laughs> Daryl Williams was also kind of ahead of him to close the year. He was. Uh, I think... You know, he offers a little bit more as like a pure two down runner than the other guys. But McKinnon, I thought, was really impressive as essentially a third wide receiver. The prophecy was foretold with McKinnon. Let's just, let's just be real. He finally, after all these years happened, it finally happened. Yeah. And I mean, the, the point about him being a journeyman and stuff, I think, says there isn't a very high bar for what they need to play someone over CH. CH, I think, still offers them something he can play in the passing game. He's a decent downhill runner. He's not, I mean, you know, he's okay. So he kind of serves as like an all-around backup, like a really solid all-around backup. I, I mean, he'll probably be viewed heading into 2022 as like a committee running back of some sort, depending on how the offseason goes. Maybe it'll be the 1A, maybe it'll be the 1B. But I hope they bring McKinnon back. I, I thought he he made the offense work a little bit better. I'm sure he'll be on our offseason radars as a pass catching back no matter where he goes. So whether it's with the Chiefs or not, that'd be great. But also doesn't have to be the exclusive option there. Uh, Derek Gore, also an exclusive rights free agent. So very easy to bring yeah, back as their backup. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire still on his rookie deal. And, you know, you already wasted 
the first round draft pick on him. So you sort of have to stick with them just given how limited he goes against your cap right now, at least. Well, and that's sort of like they've sort of pushed themselves into a corner with that backfield. The way I view it is that you can't spend any resources on someone else. But if you can get McKinnon back cheaply, sure. you know, that I just love you that. Do we, it. that he opened the he just like Jarek just like opened the door ever so slightly and you just burst right in all back <laughs> all the way back in on Jarek McKinnon. I did did I? Or did the Chiefs they're playing him like eighty percent of setups? Between the waiver pod and like this show in general, I think Corain has touted every single Chiefs running back except Clyde Edwards Alaire this season. <laughs> yeah, I know I was way off base. And by the way, you're, I'm gonna say you've been correct, by the way. Yeah. By the way, we're talking about like the phrase replacement level, all this was, I would say the Chiefs receiver production behind Tyreek and Kelsey has been sub replacement level. I mean, yeah. Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson just like I, I, I like at the absolute ceiling, that was replacement level production. Like they definitely need to take, take another Sammy Watkins shot at things. And it didn't work with Sammy. This yeah, is going to seem like a bit, but is Miko Hardman potentially a running back that they could use? The are they, they going to Deboize him? I mean, he's just, he's Debo is so beefy. Miko is not beefy. And well, Miko also has such poor ball skills. I mean, Debo is like elite <laughs> downfield ball it's skills. To, it's, it's totally different, too. Yeah, like he, he happened to run himself open because he got open from the backfield against a cornerback one-on-one uh, -on -one situation downfield from Mahomes early in the game. But other than that, like we've seen throughout his career so far, and he's still young, but overall he still struggles to separate mightily as like oh, an yeah. NFL receiver right now. He can't earn targets. And again, he's still, I think he's only 23 years old. He's still very young. He's very young. Yeah. Yes. But overall young enough uh, to convert to running back is my point. <laughs> <laughs> it's not clicked yet. Uh, what happened? Was, was I crazy on that one Miko target in the first half where the ball just like fell by him or like, was was that was like an optical illusion? Was that like actually further away from him than it appeared on TV? It did seem very close to him when like he stopped it running. Was very very close to him, and it could have easily been caught. I mean, maybe not easily, but easy for an NFL receiver. Like it seemed like it landed within within the margin of error of it's his wingspan. And I was like, "What is going on here?" And like they didn't talk. Romo and Nance just like didn't really talk about it. I'm like. This seems very weird that this ball just landed right there and we never really talked about it again. But that was also another missed opportunity, I thought, for those Kansas City football chiefs. We're going to talk, we're going to preview the Super Bowl a lot here at NBC Sports Edge and a good football show. But so it's also, too, we did the classic thing like the Bengals won the game. And of course, I just talked about the Chiefs for 20 minutes. Like, let's talk about the Chiefs for 20 minutes. The Bengals did it win. I feel this. like the Chiefs lost the game more than the Bengals. I know, Correct. which is annoying. I'm Bengals fans are super annoyed right now. But Sorry, that, Bengals fans. That's what happens when you're dealing with like a dynasty like the Chiefs. But so the Bengals, they did it. Joe Burrow is just like an insta legend, basically. Like, We'll get into more like in the offseason, like Joe Burrow, like he's why he's got a lot of definable characteristics, like namely he pulled off the super rare feat of leading the NFL in both completion percentage and yards per attempt, like that almost impossible needle to thread of efficiency and also like explosive playability. Like that's kind of like his special trait, his like superhuman trait. But he also clearly has like a lot of those like ineffable, uh, undefinable Type. He's just like, he's just a legend already. He's just like a, a legendary player. But like, that's kind of, is that like what their Super Bowl odds boil down to? Like Joe Burrow, like how real are the Bengals Super Bowl odds? We'll start with you, John Daigle. I would say fairly real, especially given how well their defense 
has played uh, not only the second half, but going back to the Titans game as well. Jesse Bates seems to come up at least once every quarter in the postseason. Yeah. So no, they have good players making plays like Trey Hendrickson becoming household names. Players we knew about already, but when the lights got bigger, like they are genuinely out there changing games. So that's what makes it unique. Like they are not the superstars like Vaughn Miller, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, but they are continuously getting the job done. So yeah, I think the Bengals have a pretty fair shot, honestly. I think so too. I I don't trust the Bengals coaching to to give them the optimal chance to win here because my my view is that their optimal chance of winning is to put the ball in Burrow's hand hands to let him try to score as many points against the Rams as possible, force Matthew Stafford to drop back a bunch because the Rams seem very uncomfortable with that Big time. these days. So, you know, you're putting your opposition in a spot they don't want to be in by giving the ball to your best player who can then get the ball in the hands of your other best players in Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. I mean, that's where the strength of this offense is. Even Joe Mixon, Smosh Pirine had a, had a crazy good touchdown today. I mean, getting the ball – in your playmaker's hands downfield through the air is the strength of this team, but they have a very poor pass blocking offensive line. And I, I think that they, you know, to somewhat understandably are just kind of constantly thinking about that. And you could see it with the play calling today, constant runs on first and 10. At one point they called a first and 10 pass and then called a timeout. I like to think they, they got scared about the idea they were about to pass on first and 10 and they had to call a timeout, but you know, Joe Burrow, he's fifth in EPA per play entering this game. Uh, he uh, first in, in CPOE completion percentage over expected. So led the league in accuracy entering this game and very poor offensive line. But if he can get protection, which may be easier said than done against a, a very talented uh, Rams front. But if he can get protection, I, I do think he has something that is a real strength over or over where the Rams are on offense, even though Matthew Stafford and, and Cooper Cup could certainly score points. That team has kind of shied away from winning through the air in recent weeks. I, was, I, I think it's as simple as that with Joe Burrow and like the play calling, Pat, where like it is very triggering – but like I just think they're terrified of him getting sacked nine times again, yeah. and it led to lots of things that look and felt suboptimal, but maybe just like and are actually, and are suboptimal. Hold on, hold on. Maybe actually are just optimal because he can't get the guy killed. And I don't know. I mean, the first down run though doesn't like keep him any safer. That is the thing. No, second and nine passes are not ideal. I, I mean, if you're that trying to not thing. get the guy sacked, don't have him throw on second and nine a bunch. Of you want to have a robust run game to protect them, but running on first down does not accomplish that. That's what's so exactly. funny about the Bengals being in the Super Bowl. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm very happy they're there. Uh, I love watching Joe Burrow play. But like, if you look at the team, because you know what's going to happen. You have two weeks, and everyone talks themselves into a nothing. They just go on and on and on to the point where everything they say is just blabber. You better so believe I'm going to be there will, there will be headlines and stories about how correct the Bengals' rebuild has been. When literally you would not want Mike Brown, you would not want Zach Taylor, and you would not want this offensive line in any situation. You know how you rebuild, kids? You draft Joe Burrow. It is literally that simple. Nothing else matters. Draft Joe Burrow. The rest of the pieces come into place. Even for as good as Jamar Chase is, doesn't matter if it's Brandon Allen back there. It only matters if it's Joe Burrow. So the rebuild is legitimately just that. 
Um, and while it's been awesome to see how it's come to fruition and Joe Burrow learning and developing so early into a franchise cornerstone, it's also is literally just that since like to your point, Corrine, uh, six carries for the Bengals on first and 10 in the first half tonight. Oof. And only one went from over three yards. And then at the halftime, they unsurprisingly trailed 21 to 10. Yeah. That's crazy. How did that happen? Their first play then in the third quarter, they threw the ball and it was a 44-yard game to T. Higgins. The very next play on first and 10, a run for two yards, setting up second and eight. It's just like Zach Taylor falls forward. That's the thing. When he messes up, Joe Burrow's right there to dig him out of the grave because Joe Burrow's that good. And so like Taylor's actually not adding anything to this team. And that's what I worry about here because yet again, the second time this year against the chiefs, they did everything wrong and Burrow had to dig them back because he's that good to do that. So can you do that against the Rams with a significantly more stellar pass rush? I don't know. We're going to find out. The thing with Burrow, man, is this. So first I think they said during the game on CBS today that, He's the first ever number one overall pick to lead his team to the Super Bowl within his first two seasons. Number one overall pick at quarterback, I should say. And the thing about Burrow, this just so that he's so accurate, but yet he's so deadly down the field. Like that's what he was his final year at LSU too. And just when a player so early in their career lives up, like you know their pre-draft billing, like you know when you go through like their strengths and weaknesses and their pre-draft profile, when he's already like hit all the strengths. Like, you just know it's going to be such a special play. Especially, like, he already tore, like, four knee ligaments. Like, the guy's yeah. just special. And I guess I'm being a little bit grumpy about this because – but but just to be clear about why, I think Burrow's a superstar. I've thought he's – you know, I think he has emerged as a superstar weeks he's and a weeks superstar. ago. And I'm, I'm actually very excited that now we're all just going to agree he's a superstar because he is a superstar. I'm grumpy about it because I think – we're going to be in a situation where the best player on the field is not going to get a chance to show that he is the best player on the field because we're going to see a bunch of suboptimal first and 10 runs. And then he's going to have to do stuff on second and nine and on third and nine uh, instead of getting set up for success. Like Josh Allen does, you know, if we can get, maybe we can get Dayball to uh, to substitute coach this game for us here in the <laughs> Super Bowl. That'd be nice. But you know, if they were setting him up for more success, getting a higher percentage of his passes in optimal passing situations, that's how you beat the Rams. And, and think about the think about the Rams' pass rush, right? Pass on them when they don't know for sure you're passing. That's how you that's how you silence the pass rush because they have to defend the run as well as the pass. Throw in as many possible situations where they have to defend the run as well as the pass. Don't try to limit the amount of passes you're throwing when they know for a fact that you have to pass in that situation. But I have a sneaking suspicion that's not the way the the Bengals are going to approach that. The NFL postseason is in full swing, and NBC Sports Edge Plus is giving you a special offer. Get 15% off an Edge Plus annual subscription throughout the playoffs when you use promo code PLAYOFF15. Get every tool for every game at one low price. It's easier than ever to play and wager with confidence. When you have NBC Sports Edge Plus. Like the Bengals, the Rams also had to overcome a two-score second half deficit to punch the punch a ticket to their second Super Bowl in four years. And after going 54 years without a team playing the big game in their home stadium, the Rams will now be the second straight after the Bucks last season. Was this the quote unquote right result for this game, for this conference, Crane? Or would it have been the 49ers with even slightly better quarterback play? That's that's what I want to focus. Again, I'm just going to focus on the negative. I want to focus 
on how the 49ers lost this game to begin this conversation as opposed to how the Rams won it. So the discus throw by Jimmy Garoppolo to close the game wasn't uh, your your favorite moment of of this uh, matchup is what I'm going to yeah. Uh, yeah, I think at, at this point, I, if they had better quarterback play, I think the 49ers probably would have won this game. But to some extent, uh, that's the Rams' fault. You know, I think, again, they sort of let the 49ers have it come down to a coin flip, which the 49ers somehow got. Yeah, they want, and they got three straight teams that don't have to play that way to play them that way, which is kind of wild. Um <laughs> And really, it just shouldn't have happened. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, sure, if, if the 49ers had slightly better quarterback play, they win this game. But but how would they have had that? Like, I actually don't think Trey Lance probably would have played better than Jimmy Garoppolo in this game, even though I think, you know, you, you probably do want to move on from Garoppolo and see what you have in Lance next year. But odds are it might be worse than what Garoppolo just showed, even though I think what Garoppolo showed was very poor. So, yeah, I think in a in a way we did get the right result because, you know, I think the better team won a team that's probably limited by the way that they are viewing Stafford. They, they clearly don't trust him right now. But uh, I ultimately do think the Rams are the better team. I wish, like the Chiefs, that they had played a little bit more aggressively. He was tilted uh, out the of end his of the mind, game. man. Sean McVay was just tilted out of his mind. <laughs> it, 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 they had a very similar situation where they they didn't prioritize scoring a touchdown. And instead, we're prioritizing kicking a field goal, just like the Chiefs at the end of the game. I thought both teams uh, were too conservative in that situation. And I wouldn't have bothered me if that had cost the Rams the game. Uh, but but I do think the Rams are the better team. If you strictly go by in-game coaching decision, neither team should be there. That's uh, true. It was a, a master <laughs> class in that regard. An absolute best class of who wanted to lose more. In the fourth quarter, Shanahan, though, taking the cake, not going for it on fourth and two in the Rams 45 and a tie ball game. After that, actually, the Rams got the benefit of Stafford's dropped interception, and he plays defense. Oh my gosh, That's why man. he plays defense, because he can't catch the ball. But uh, an outright drop. And then they got 45 free yards on that Beckham catch against cover two, dropping in a bucket over the top of the cornerback on the left side of the sideline for 30 yards. And then the idiotic 15 yard helmet to helmet. from textbook. That moves them near the 30. <laughs> and then with all of that being said, third and three in the red zone, uh, the Rams then toss a screen to Sony Michelle five yards behind the line. Of that was the worst play of the whole game. <laughs> not, <laughs> not at the sticks, Pat. Not at the sticks. Five yards behind the line of scrimmage, thus essentially making it like third and 12 unnecessarily. Like they don't need to do that. And they did that. Uh, by far the worst play. They take their field goal. So they go up 2017. And then from that point forward, the 49ers get two drives to either tie the game or win it. Less than seven minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. And on those two drives, Garoppolo goes one for six for negative three yards and a pick. Uh, It's the same Jimmy G story over and over again. We talked about AFC quarterbacks having to run the gauntlet now if you join the AFC, and that's why just searching for a league average guy isn't good enough. Like Unless he's a bridge until you can go and start your actual careers, like set the clock and say, okay, I understand this was my job in the line, but we have to move up and get someone because we can't win the AFC without someone better than this other player. Uh, Jimmy G story is the same thing over and over again, but now also it ends with a wasted year of Trey Lance's rookie contract. Well, so that's what's so disturbing about this to me. Is, so the Rams roster is elite, but I do think yes. like absent quarterback, the 49ers roster still might have been slightly better with the Trent Williams anchored offensive line, the Nick Bosa anchored defensive line. Obviously they have problems in the secondary, but it just felt like a true Super Bowl roster to me. Not that the Rams doesn't. And I just think it's clear 
they would have probably been they probably would have been like the NFC's number one seed. Was like if they had, if they had had Matthew Stafford, say if the 49ers had had Matthew Stafford, they probably would have been the NFC's number one seed. And like the thing is, they knew this. They knew quarterback was like they were like a team. There's a lot of teams like delude themselves into thinking they're one player away, they're one quarterback away. The 49ers like kind of knew they were just a quarterback away from being a colossus. So they threw all these resources at it. They trade into the top three. They get a quarterback. And then as expected, their quarterback over and over and over again continues to prove to be the weak link. To the point where in the playoffs, right, too, he was like so physically limited, like with the shoulder and the thumb. I just didn't. It just seemed like he really should not have been out there. I thought in the second half today. So they knew this problem existed. The problem did indeed exist. They invested all these resources in it, and then the guy is still so not ready that after all that, all that great preparation, they couldn't go to it because it just turns out he isn't good enough. Yet. And we don't. We don't it's necessarily like know. Outcome. We don't necessarily know that he's not ready. That's the thing. Uh, that is perhaps, the thing which you were saying be before the pod. Yeah, <laughs> he, he may not be ready. That could be true. But also, like, do we really believe when Shanahan says that? Since they've done nothing but hold Garoppolo's hand essentially to make him feel better, and uh, <laughs> now we now we know the outcome, right? Because once the 49ers sign their futures deals in the coming weeks. They are projected to be $7 million over the cap with 51 players in their roster. And Garoppolo's cap hit is $25 million next year. So we already know the outcome. We know the draft picks. We know everything. We don't know where he's going to play, but we know it won't be with the 49ers. Do you guys want to do real quick a totally useless thought exercise? Sure. Would the 49ers have won this game with Mac Jones today? Yes. I think so too. I totally, so. I know this is totally useless, counterfactual. But Deggle, would they have won but, with Mac? But Jones given today? how poor uh, Stafford played, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this and, game specifically, which they shouldn't have been in because the Rams blew like a bunch of opportunities <laughs> and made bad decisions. I'm telling you, this is a useless counterfactual. But I yeah. think they would have won the game with Mac Jones. They they, they challenged. Remember that Kyle Uchek third down run, and the 49ers Dude. sent out their punt team. And then McFay said the challenge. So it's like, okay, they're going to give yeah. you the ball back, but you're challenging. Yeah, you need this draft. Where you're going to get the ball anyways. And then, of course, in, in typical Kyle Shanahan fashion, he sent the offense back out there just to kill the clock, take the delay a game, extra five yards, and then punt the ball anyhow. Yeah, he what? looked. he almost looked incredibly sharp. Because I was actually, at that point, like this was going to be one of the all-time moments in playoff history if the 49ers win this game where you go – he they're going to punt the ball. McVay decides, nope, I need the field position. And then the 49ers go for it and get it and win the game. I mean, that would have been incredible, but Shanahan chickened out. It was a week 18 Brandon Staley moment, you know, where Brandon Staley called the timeout and the Raiders mm-hmm. decided, well, I'll win the game, I guess. <laughs> and yeah. I, I thought Shanahan had reached that conclusion. Like, what is, why would he not? And to also, I tweeted this, but why do teams, how has no one done this yet? Where like, so clearly you know, the play clock's down to two or three seconds. The Rams, you you see them like start to ease out of their stance. Like, okay, whatever. They're just trying mm-hmm. to draw us off sides. Why not just go for it then? Like, why don't you like surprise them in the situation where you've lulled them into thinking you're not going to go for it? Why not actually go for it then? Yeah, we're going to snap the ball when there's one second. That's the plan all along, and you're running right up the gut. Yeah, it just uh, makes too much sense. The thing is, though, when in these situations, you do want to account for team context. And it's not like the 49ers are built around, you know, 
running plays and just trick plays. And, you know, <laughs> it's not like their entire offensive identity is built around picking up two yards on the ground. So, you know, you do have to factor in that. Con- Come on, 49ers. No, it, it was just so, 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 so disappointing. Everything about that 49ers performance was so disappointing. So, so do we think is Trey Lance the week one? Because Dago, like you said, I kind of forgot about how dire the Jimmy Garoppolo cap situation is. Yeah. Is Trey Lance for sure the week one starter? Or is there going to be like option three? Like is Trey or is Trey Lance the week one starter in 2022? Trey Lance will be the week one starter. Uh, I don't think there's any way the 49ers would or can afford to bring Garoppolo back. Whereas there are a lot of teams who I'm sure wouldn't mind taking him on as a bridge. Uh, the Texans, the Raiders, a couple others come to mind. So we'll see where the dots connect in the offseason. But I would imagine he starts elsewhere. It is the type of situation where if they don't, for one thing, they can probably get something for Garoppolo. He's not so bad that they have to give him away, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, on the other, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm becoming anybody? the ultimate hater, though. If, I, I think if, I'm not evaluating if, the situation. Like if a team picks people. up Sam Darnold's 19 million option, that's someone can take on Garoppolo's 25 million. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they can get something. The other thing is this Trey Lance move. If they don't have him as the week one starter next year, it it does start to be like maybe Kyle Shanahan's head isn't going to roll for this, but like. Lynch, so, like who's who's going to get fired for this decision? He, because it's it's a really really bad decision if you can't have him as the week one starter in year two. After they, I mean, they were trying to hide Garoppolo so bad through this playoff run, and they were able to, as as you guys point out, due to the talent of this roster. But that is not the situation that you want to be in. That's the frustrating part is that you don't have a choice now. Uh, whether Lance is good, whether you think he's ready or not, it doesn't matter. The deal is made. There, there is no hindsight now. You can't just not play the guy wasting his contract. That's basically Jordan Love. Uh, like they, they've already. But it's eaten. like Jordan Love times three. They, yeah, they, they traded two picks like, to go up you, there. You literally have to play him because you don't have Aaron Rodgers ahead of you uh, trying to dance around that whole deal. So, yeah, it has to be Lance, whether he's ready or not. Can I real quick repeat one of a, a joke I tweeted on Sunday? Am I correct that? Sean McVay was coaching like he was pulling up his DK lineup and he saw four snowflake emojis. Like that's just what I kept thinking about with Sean McVay. Like the dude was just tilted out of his gourd. It was unreal. Like he was, I don't know if I've ever seen a coach coach so tilted. Like I swear he was just hitting refresh. He's like another snowflake. Great. Now I got to challenge this. I got to do something desperate. Perhaps Shanahan was actually in his head. He was. I think he actually was. That's right. Yeah. Now he's out of it, so that's good. He's got that going for him now. Uh, the 49 is Debo in the mix for wide receiver overall, one wide receiver one overall status in 2022, or will his usage not hold up? Because he definitely felt like an injury, like ticking time bomb, like and almost felt like an emergency measure for this 49ers offense. Like, clearly, this cat's like not going to go all the way back in the bag, like, this is going to be a big part of Debo's game running but i wonder if it's gonna be more like two to three carries a game instead of like six to eight and would you guys consider debo samuel in the mix for wide receiver overall wide receiver one overall status in 2022 i'm actually on the other end of the spectrum where already he seems like a fade at his number uh given that you have to factor in trey lance carries that takes away debo's equity uh and plus from week 10 on when he started becoming a running back they literally chopped his targets in half he averaged 10 in the first eight games and then from week 10 on, he averaged only five targets and he actually scored nine touch or he scored touchdowns. He averaged a touchdown for every nine carries as a running back. 
what is that, nine touchdowns on 73 carries, I believe he had overall. And so like that type of efficiency, maybe he can carry over. But to me, that seems very unsustainable. Um, almost like James Conner, like in the first half of the season, when he wasn't <laughs> getting touches, but scoring because all he did was ever get touches inside the five. So no, like uh, it seems to me like I'll be off of Debo right now. The dip was this off season, not next off season. Completely agree. He seems like a third round pick type of value to me, and I think you're you know if you as you think through it, the projections are are not going to be huge fans of Debo Samuel because you're you're not going to be able to project this massive efficiency that he's had uh, this entire season and um, in, you know, in this hybrid role, you have to project some to George Kittle. You have to project some to Brandon Ayuk next year. Juwan Jennings is starting to emerge. You know, he'll catch a little bit. And then the big thing is, as Daigle talked about, there's just no way that Trey Lance isn't the week one starter. There's going to be all the stuff about, you know, look how much lower volume the passing game was with Trey Lance compared to Jimmy Garoppolo. That's going to be a big offseason narrative that, that's warranted. I mean, it really was a lot less uh, overall passing volume. So it's just going to be very difficult to project Debo for anything like this stretch that we saw to close the season and, and through the playoffs. And I think he'll kind of fall into that like Terry McLaurin type of, you know, early to mid third round ADP by the time we get into the summer. And at that point, I, you know, if he does end up there, I, I would be interested in drafting him there uh, to some extent. But if he's going to be more like a you know mid second round pick for now, I, I think that's a little bit pricey. Some of those projection stuff, you know, it, the reality is that it's going to be difficult for him to repeat what he just did. Even in running hot and efficiency in the rushing touchdowns, he only averaged one more fantasy point per game as a running back. So now take away those touchdowns. Now imagine like if he just plays his floor every single week, it'd be a disaster since his targets got chopped in half. And so, yeah, it's just a situation I'm trying to ignore. I do think Where would you take him, Diggle? I mean, it's too early. I don't know. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I don't care. I will say I'm I don't think gonna, there's. I'm not going to talk about Bar's drafts right now. Cray, I don't think there's any way he falls out of the top 24. I will say that. I think there's going to be enough people willing to believe he's like a model breaker because he was he was a model breaker like two separate ways this year. I mean, he was already like a model breaker before he was the change of pace running back, and then when he became the change of pace running back, he was basically like a model like obliterator. And I think there will be smart people to convince themselves that he's cannot escape the top 24 that. Yeah. Well, certainly, you know, until we get into like true projection driven drafts, I agree, but keep in mind that there's going to be a bunch of running backs who we would scoff at going in the top 24. Now who we will eventually tuck ourselves into due to positional scarcity. Uh, All of that stuff is going to push down some of these wide receivers, you know, that maybe, maybe I have it wrong. Maybe he'll be more in that kind of like Keenan Allen, C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson, one or two, three turn range, um, and I think he'd be fine there too. But but I really think he'd be an overvalued selection if he goes kind of where DeAndre Hopkins went in drafts yeah. this past year. I think that's too high. I disagree. I think the biggest threat is this Kyle Shanahan will have to just dial off a bit. I mean, the dude got like shaken up like every single mm-hmm. playoff game. Like mm-hmm. this kind of usage just isn't sustainable. Like he's he's not going to make it through the season if they use him the way they've been using. Like he's just taking. So for a guy in a receiver's body, I mean, he's beefier than a normal receiver, but he's just taking way too many like ferocious hits. And we'll, I think Kyle Shannon will diagnose like he cannot stay healthy with that kind of usage. And they'll just have to dial off a bit. So we talked about the mingle. I mean, I'm going to just kind of ask the same question. By the way, actually, I'm going to ask one more side question. I asked, is Jamar Chase in the mix for wide receiver overall? Wide receiver yes. one overall. Is he in the mix? Is he the favorite? 
I think no, Cup's I mean, the favorite. I'm gonna say Cup just set literally. I don't think record. so, man. Really? I think I think people will view Cup as like more unsustainable. Even because uh, like, we you, you know how more this comfortable works. projecting Jamar. You know how this works. Like we've done this too long. Uh, everyone drafts last year's stats. That's just the way the offseason works. And so, like, even in wanting to fade Cup for very clear and obvious regression, uh, it's gonna be hard to get away since his margin of leading every category was so large. He's definitely gonna be like if not the number one overall player over Jonathan Taylor, he'll definitely be the number one wide receiver. Yeah. I don't think it'll be the, I think Christian McCaffrey will probably go ahead of him once we, you know, talk ourselves back into him. Oh I, I think that cup though, will be the number one wide receiver and probably like the one Oh three, one Oh four range. And by the way, in the regression stuff, I mean, his target share is what drove this. He had 32% target share. I mean, his yards per hour was like 3.19 entering this game. And it's probably higher now. Uh, so, you know, it's not like he had this insane yards per target. Really, Debo is the one you, you worry about more with, like, kind of efficiency regression than Cup. Yeah, Cup's going to regress some, but, you know, he he's deserves to be in the conversation as the number one overall player and number one over, overall wide receiver. I, th- I kind of view it more like Devontae Adams uh, entering this season and like Michael Thomas uh, two seasons ago, which is – you know, was a huge bust. So it's not like he couldn't flop, but you know, it's, it's more like he is the engine of the offense and that might regress a bit, but it's not going to just evaporate unless some weird stuff happens. Uh, you know, he was, like you said, he was at or over 30%, but also uh factor in Robert Woods coming back and they have to see what we do with the uh, Odell Beckham's contract as well. So yep. um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things to factor in there where I would say the 30% target share definitely doesn't hold. You guys want to overinterpret some data. Yeah. What a, what about the fact that he only had seven targets in week 17, 18, and the wild card <laughs> round, folks? It was while they were uh, – people – I can already see now because they were trying to hide Stafford. They don't want to be as pass-heavy next year. I feel like well, it's going to become a narrative. That I think – and that's probably a fair narrative. And I agree, Dave. I, I don't think he's going to have a you know a 30% target share next year either. But it's kind of like – we're you know you're struggling to with any of this any of the good seasons they're all going to regress so you're just trying to figure out where to put your chips i think jamar chase though uh to get back to your question pat does have a case for the number one wide receiver uh the idea that you can bet on a second year breakout from a guy as good as jamar chase is right now is pretty wild uh he obviously has an incredible connection with burrow the big thing for the offseason with the Bengals is going to be do they get offensive line help? If they do, then, you know, God, I'd love if they had, you know, some kind of like passing game coordinator hire that that made us more bullish about them throwing a bit more. But there is massive upside for this passing game if they can protect Burrow better and if they lean into it a little bit more and you're not worried about the talent aspect at all for Chase. And, you know, he's certainly a guy that in his best season will probably have a 33 34% target share. I mean, he, he looks like that type of guy. It might be three or four years from now, but you can't rule it out happening in a second year. He's been that good. I think I'm going to rank Chase as the wide receiver one. I've kind of already decided. But, but once I actually maybe like dive in to the, the the hashtag data, data maybe won't be as obvious, but I was thinking about that all day today. I'm like, man, this guy's like clearly the wide receiver one for 2022. Um, but It's a good I conversation. Yeah, I think I, I think his ADP will set, will settle as like wide receiver two in the you know one hundred seven range. So I don't think you'd be even that far ahead of. It's going to be an off season of mixing up your picks if you play a lot of drafts because uh, good luck picking between the four guys we talked about at mm-hmm. the top. 
By the way, Cooper Cup has 20 touchdowns in 20 games. Yeah. Seems like <laughs> more than I remember. <laughs> it's a lot of touchdowns for a wide receiver. A lot, a lot of touchdowns. Uh, well, in the show talking about, so we kind of already talked about the Bengals Super Bowl odds. The Rams, they're four-point early favorites, by the way. Are you, do you feel comfortable calling them clear favorites, even if we're expecting a close matchup? And just kind of like, Why does this offense feel like so out of sync right now? Is it just because – is it just kind of more like optics or aesthetics as they dial back on Matthew Stafford? Is it actually out of sync or am I just like projecting this onto the Rams and it just feels out of sync to me because they've kind of changed up their style. I think it's out of sync because they don't trust their quarterback right now. And they've gone against two very difficult run defenses. So if the, the Rams can get, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's definitely a path to the Rams easily beating the Bengals, which would be, you know, they're able to establish the ground game the way they want to. And then off of that, they're able to have a very efficient passing game. And Stafford has been very efficient in the playoffs. This this model has worked out OK. Uh, it does put the Rams in a bit of a difficult situation where, you know, the Bengals on the other side were to really push the game and, and you know, try to go into shootout mode with Burrow, which I think would make a lot of sense for them. Uh, the Rams would be in an uncomfortable position trying to keep up. But I probably think that, you know, the Bengals are a pretty significant underdog to do that, given the way they just play the Chiefs. And so the Rams may have like a a real opportunity to get kind of back in sync here because they're facing a a run defense that's not anywhere near the the Tampa Bay or the 49ers run defense that they just faced. And they also obviously don't have uh, the pass rush that the 49ers just did either. I like the under looking at it early for sure given the volatility of the game, given the play calling volatility, given the fact that we've seen Stafford now uh, be poor, answer when he needed to, but also play poorly and over the last month in some big spots. So, yeah, I like the under a lot. That's like part of the big difference between Stafford and Goff is like they're kind of losing trust in Stafford and like kind of like deservedly so. And like he's just has a few too many stink bombs, but – like the big difference is still like if you need a play, like if you need instant offense, like Matthew Stafford is like he wants to be your guy. Yeah. Like he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna do this yeah. whether and, you want me to or not. I mean, know? I mean, just look at the Cooper Cup play two weeks ago, but also like that 30 yard play to to Beckham along the sideline, like yeah. whenever they needed to come back and like tie the game, that was huge. I mean, massive. And those are the things that Goff obviously can't do. He can't flip a field. Stafford can still do that. Yeah, and Stafford will. I mean, he he should have lost in the game and stuff with the with the tart interception that wasn't Boy. or whatever. But uh, he'll have those moments. But uh, and I understand why they're trying to limit those moments as much as possible. But I agree. I think his ability to actually make big plays is makes him a much much better quarterback than. Golf. See, that's the kind of thing I'm sure some people are watching these games. Like, wow, they traded for Stafford and like they don't even trust him. Like the same with Goff, but yet they are still getting what they paid for. And that- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, like or he he is. There's a big enough difference where this it brings definitely worth it. Definitely makes you question, like, what if you could just do this? Like, if you're just the whole point is to win a Super Bowl, right? It's not to even build like a winning organization like, long term. It's to literally just cash your checks and get a Super Bowl. So, like, what if you just leverage your future and never draft in the first round, um, and always trade for what like? Do you mean, what if? Like, that's what I mean. That's what they're doing. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Jago, I mean, it's is a it a good? Like, I don't, I don't know. I think, it's I mean, working. I truly think it. Like, <laughs> the, the NFL draft is such a crapshoot. I'm just shocked that 
year after year, like teams do not trade more picks for players they've already seen be good at the NFL level. Oh, like, we're we're never going to get there. But my argument has always been to take two quarterbacks. Um, it, so, like, let them go. This might be. Chances. This, you know, it's eleven thirty on a Sunday night. This podcast is going to make an hour. It's going to be like the most pointless player I could possibly bring up. But I somehow got on a kick like a month or two ago. That I, I tweeted like teams should trade a third or fourth round pick for Darius Slayton. But I know that they never will. But I'm like, here's a guy who like you've already seen like has a, a certified NFL deep threat. He has certified NFL traits. Why would you not just trade a pick for that instead of like rolling the dice for no? Like, there's just to me he was like an avatar for like what is wrong with like the way so many teams approach this, like, like this trade for the guy who is already proven he is an NFL player instead of like deluding yourselves into thinking like every third or fourth, I mean, lots of third or fourth round picks do pan out, but even like the best drafting organizations, it's like less than a coin flip almost. And as teams need to get on the Rams bandwagon of trading for like established NFL talent. And I, I do think it's maybe like you, you run at some point you have to like pay the piper, but I think it is like somewhat sustainable and makes sense. Like instead of like taking the lottery ticket, just take the player that you know is already a quality NFL starter. I don't know. I'm ranting now. Well, the Rams arguably could have done this with like Van Jefferson instead of uh, drafting him in the second round. And he's operating as the deep threat. And Van Jefferson, I think is ultimately like an NFL level player and everything, but not your first choice is a deep threat. I mean, first of all, he doesn't really have, he was kind of drafted as more of like a, a possession type of guy. And they've had to kind of force him into the deep threat role, you know, due to their personnel. So yeah, I think uh, Slayton probably wouldn't even cost that much at this point. Right. It probably costs like a sixth round pick. Yeah. who knows? It's, it's a different front office. Now I, I feel like they, the giants will still be afraid to trade him though. What were you going to say, Dangle? Instead, just put those draft picks to players like Evan McPherson and your problems are solved. There you go. That's uh <laughs> <laughs> Big facts right there. Uh, did he actually call this kick? Uh, they they kind of assumed he did, but I don't know. Do we have a report that he? I think they wanted him to uh-huh. after last week calling a shot, uh, but I don't think he actually called this one. But I mean, how awesome has he been? He's been absolutely <laughs> I, incredible. He's, he's uh, been great. He's just a never draft kicker, and man, what a what an amazing piece to have on your team. He's Justin Tucker Jr. He's a model breaker, yes. man. He's a model yes. breaker. He, I mean, and to be fair, draft he, was, kickers. he was the number one recruit to Florida as well, right? Like the number one kicker recruit. Are you serious? I didn't I, know. I, I believe like the Justin Tucker alignment like actually makes sense. Like he was a number one kicker, and he was a number one like kicker out of the coming into the draft, and so on. And like he's been awesome. His 12, 12 field goals of 50 plus yards this season, like more than any rookie ever. Like, I, that actually might be an NFL record. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. What that is doing. incredible. Dago, you're from Tech. Well, Tucker was a big deal in college, right? At Texas. Yes. Well, yeah, as big deal as a kicker can be. That's what know? I mean. Like, he was like one of the rare kickers who, like, actually kind of like took up mind space. Like, him, him and Janikowski was. were always like, you kind of knew. Like, you knew, okay, well, like this one, you actually draft. Not as early as Janikowski got drafted, of course, but yeah, you want to, <laughs> you want to draft. First round. Yeah, Rodrigo Blankenship, another one. Too bad he was hurt this year. That was a big loss for the NFL. He changed his glasses, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it is pretty wild that in a in a year with Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts, that the the Florida rookie is McPherson. <laughs> That's a good point, man. He yeah, he just give him the O'Roy. I mean, we're talking about a Chase versus Mac Jones. Give it to McPherson. I think he's the one who's <laughs> kind of earned it at this point. And we've spent too much time with Denny Pitt. How so say we're, do we get the one hour on two games? I, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think this would happen. I will say that. 
I didn't think it's going to happen. I'm like, you know what? It's a 35 to 40 minute job tonight. We're in and out. And then at some point I'm bringing up Darius Slayton for yeah, some reason. That means it's time to get out of here. Yeah, it is time to get out of here. Thank you so much for joining us, John. Thank you so much for joining us, Pat. Thank you most of all, though, for joining us, audience. We're going to be coming at you all week, all next week, as we begin to pre- preview Super Bowl 56, the Cincinnati Bengals taking on the Los Angeles Rams on NBC during the Beijing Winter Olympics, by the way. It's going to be crazy. I'm just making this up on the fly. I was not told to promote any of this, but yeah, the Super Bowl's on the Peacock this year, so you got to check it out. Yeah, check out the site all week. Check out all of our Twitter spaces. And uh, yeah, we'll be back. I'll be back with a podcast on Tuesday with Denny. We'll be back later in the week. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good week.